0: Genesis chapter 35. It's where we're going to be. I know we said we kind of got out of order before. We're actually back in order, the place we're supposed to be in Genesis chapter 35 as we're preaching through Genesis. If you're new to Refuge, one of the things that we value here is expository preaching. So we do a lot of verse by verse preaching through the scriptures. And you go, man, that's got to be a little bit boring at times. And so we try not to make it boring. We say boring preaching is sinful. And so uh, we try not to make uh, the preaching boring because it is, uh, uh, we preach the gospel here regularly. It is the power of God to say, salvation, and that should not be boring. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes. So uh, we're going to jump in right here uh, into uh, Genesis chapter 35, and you can uh, follow along there in your Bibles if you want to. If you've got a device, you can turn there and, uh, and follow along with us. Let's see what the text has to say. Scripture says this, God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there, make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were on the ears, God, uh, and the rings were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the uh, terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell on the citizens that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is there in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. There he built an altar and called the name El Bethel, because God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak tree, Uh, she was buried under an oak below Bethel, so he called the name Elan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Patamaran and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, no longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she, uh, and she had hard labor. When her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called uh, his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin, and I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, it's better than Ben-Oni. Uh, so Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar over his tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, where is, uh, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the, the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben was what went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now, the sons of Jacob were 12. See how the Bible just kind of rush, rushes over some of those things? You move on to the next verse. Um, Now, the sons of Jacob were 12, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born into him in Patamaran. And Jacob came to his father father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, Where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now, the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. That's a lot in that chapter. Let me pray and we'll jump in. God, we love you. We need you, Holy Spirit, today as we open up the word. Uh, God, I pray that you will use me, use the words that you have given uh, that will be edifying to this body. It would be something that we make much of Jesus in, and that you, Holy Spirit, minister to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we ended chapter 34. If you remember last week, or if you'd been listening online, I know I met some people today who had been listening online, and so if you remembered from last week, uh, we ended chapter 34 with the massacre at Shechem. I mean, it was just a total, uh, uh, just a, a wipeout, uh, of the people that day. Uh, the men in that city where Jacob and his family were living, uh, remember we said that because of Jacob's partial obedience, say that with me, partial obedience, partial obedience, that they ended up in the wrong place. They ended up in a place where God never intended for them to be. They stopped short of where God had told them to actually go, and some terrible things happened that we preached through last week, namely the defiling of Dinah, Uh, that was Jacob's only daughter. And so following this bloodbath that Simeon and Levi had led, his sons and her uh, brothers had led, uh, the chapter ended with uh, his sons proclaiming to him, uh, with uh, the brothers actually exclaiming to their father, should we let our sister be treated like a prostitute? That's how the chapter ended. Should we let our sister be treated like a prostitute? And the chapter just ends, which led us into our text today. And so let's jump in and see what the text has to say today. This is what 35.1 says. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so God came back to, uh, to Jacob and said, now I've told you to go to Bethel. Now I want you to go to Bethel. You go to Bethel Now. Almost like, I don't want to have to say this again. Anybody ever done that in your house? Don't make me say this one more time. Uh, He's like, I am telling you to go to Bethel. That's where I want you to go. I want you to live there. I want you to build an altar uh, to me when you get there. And And I want you to remember that I am the God who was with you when you fled from your brother. Remember when you ran from your brother? I'm the God who was with you. I'm still that same God. I haven't changed any. I'm not any different than I was back then. I'm the same God that I was today. And so finally, Jacob was gonna go where he was supposed to be. And Jacob had to get out of making decisions on his own and get onto God's plan, God's plan. Jacob had to get out of Shechem and go back to Bethel. And that was the place where God had called Jacob and his family to be. There was was a, 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 a commentator that wrote, his name is Barnhouse, and he said of this incident, the only cure for worldliness is to separate from it. The only cure for worldliness is to separate from it. I posted this this week online. The essence of becoming a disciple is becoming like the people we hang out with most. The essence of becoming a disciple is becoming like the people that we hang out with most. And so God said, I need you to get out of this city I never told you to go there in the first place. Stop hanging out with this group of people where you took your family and hung out there and go where I told you to go and be where I want you to be. He had become a disciple in the city where he was and God called him to be somewhere else. The essence of becoming a disciple is becoming like the people we hang out with. How many people believe that's true? Okay, for those of you who don't believe that it's true, why do you not believe that it's true? Like, well, I'm not answering that, preacher. Uh, Well, the truth is that it is true. Whether you agree with it or whether you don't agree with it, it is true. The more we hang out with people, the more we talk like them. The more we act like them. The more our mannerisms are like them, the more the same phrases that we use, the more the, 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 the places, the things we like to eat. Some people even say the more you hang out with people, the more you look like them. So for some of you, that's a good thing. For some of you, you need to leave this place and go to another place. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, but, but the things that we do, we're discipling one another all the time. You realize that? The people that you're hanging out with, the people that are in your circle of influence, the people that, are, are, that you hang around with most, you're discipling one another. You're either discipling them to be more like what it is that you want them to be like, or they're discipling you so that you'll become more like they want you to be. We don't do it necessarily consciously, but it happens. It happens. We're always discipling one another. The more we talk, the more we act, the more we do. Let's compare chapter 34 to chapter 35. How many times in the previous chapter, in verse 34, the, the, the uh, chapter 34, the one we preached last week, how many times was God mentioned in chapter 34? Anybody want to take a guess? What'd you say? Yeah, zero. So the previous chapter, God was mentioned zero times. What happened to that chapter? Uh, yeah, death and destruction. In chapter 35, how many times was God mentioned? Were you counting them as we go? Over 10, we'll just give you over 10. How about that? Uh, so God told Jacob, uh, get out of Shechem, get out of the city where you were and go back to Bethel and resume a life of worship there. Go back to where I called you to go in the first place and resume this life of worship where I intended for you to be. This, this opportunity for Jacob was kind of a renewal, yeah, we, we talk about renewal, that God is doing a renewal within us here. At, we believe that's happening here at Refuge and, and here in our city. And, and and we see it happening all in, and long in, in pockets that we want to be a part of. And so we believe that, or I, I think as we're reading through this, that God was calling Jacob to the same kind of thing, a renewal of sorts, because it was him returning to the Lord. It was him going back to what he knew that what it was to be true, returning to worship the Lord and, and His kids would be a, a great beneficiary of this decision. Now, listen, parents, I, I need you to listen closely. Uh, one of the best things you can do for your family, for your kids, is to be a worshiper of God. Okay to worship Jesus, to follow Jesus. One of the best things that you can possibly do for your family now, and honestly, in the generations to influence the generations to come, is to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not asking you to be, you ain't gotta be crazy, you know? I'm not asking you to do anything, you know, just off the charts or anything like that. But honestly, it should excite you to follow Jesus, okay? Okay? I mean, the life of following Jesus is not something boring. It, 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 it's not a boring life to follow Jesus. There's always something around the corner that God calls us to, and, and he may call us to something really crazy, or he may call us to live the life he's given us and to follow him through it, but it's not a boring life. Now, some of you need to tell your face that it's not a boring life to follow Jesus. <laughs> it's always interesting uh, to me, especially here at Refuge, uh, uh, you know, I, our band, like, like, they're up here, like, rocking it out, you know, and they're, like, singing it all and, like, playing their guitars and, and all these kind of things and, and singing and lifting their hands and the, rocking the place out. And it's interesting to watch most of you uh, because it's, we can sing songs like, um, like this. Glory, glory, glory. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem. Our loudest praises ring. We crown him Lord of I mean, that's, that's what it looks like sometimes whenever we're singing literally the praises of God, that he is the king of all things and he is, he is the Lord of all things and that we are barely going through the motions. What in the world? that a God who loves us and rescued us from our sin, who has given us a hope and a future, that we're gathered with God's people, worshiping the one who has done that for us, and we just kind of go through the motions. Don't let that be said of us, refuge. Don't let that be said of you, child of God. I'm not, again, I'm not asking you to be crazy. I'm just asking you to really think about what God has done for you. What has God rescued you from? What, what, life, you, what life has he given you? What future has he given you? What hope has he given you that we find in him? I'm just saying that following Jesus doesn't have, is not, shouldn't be something that is mundane. Or we ask you to worship God in spirit and in truth, and what that means is, is that God is the source of all truth, that his spirit resides within us. Really, God the Spirit himself literally lives within us if we're Christians. And so we wanna worship him in spirit and in truth. We should worship God. Listen, you should worship God in your home. Your home should be a place where the name of Jesus is spoken of often. If you're a Christian and you believe that you're really following Jesus, then Jesus should be spoken of in your home. And I'm not talking about just God in general as a generic God, I'm talking about Jesus. You should speak the name of Jesus in your home. If you're not used to doing that, start this week. It's different, I'm telling you, to speak the name of Jesus within your home. You should worship God in your business dealings. If you're a business person and you are following Jesus, you should be the most ethical business person that there is out there. People should not question what it is and how you do business. You should be an ethical business person, that you should not take advantage of anybody else. You should do business ethically. I'm I'm not saying don't make a profit, but I'm saying that you should be an ethical business person. That's what it means to be a business person that follows Jesus. You should worship God in your recreation. That Jesus should make a difference in how you relax and recreate with people. Man, people go on the beach. You people that are at the beach watching right now, I mean, that are not not here, I'm telling you, I wish I was with you. uh, it is, uh, people at the beach, you should, you should recreate as you follow Jesus. That is part of God called and gives us that. It's a gift from the Lord to be able to relax and recreate and enjoy God's creation. There, we tell people all the time, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you should gather with your church family. Those of you who aren't gathering right now, you should regularly gather with your church family, especially once we get through this pandemic and we're on our way, uh, that you should re- gather regularly with your church family. But there's sometimes You need to go to the beach. There's just sometimes you need to take a vacation. You know what I'm saying? And when you're there, watch it online. Uh, but there are times that you need to take a vacation, but you should worship God as you go and take a vacation. You should worship God in your finances. The, you, people should be able to take a look at why you spend your money and go, that's somebody that follows Jesus. I can tell they're generous with their money. They're, they they've managed their money well. They're generous with their money. You should worship Jesus with your money. Man, that means giving to this church. I'm not here to beat the tithe, the tr- uh, tithe, train or the tithe drum or nothing like that. But I'm telling you that if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be generous with your money to this, to one another, to uh, your neighbors, to find you people in need, to your family, to this church family, you should be generous with your money. It belo- listen, God has given you those kinds of things and he's asked you to steward it for the, for his name to be made known. It's not just for you to build wealth for yourself and your family. It's for his name to be made known. How are you stewarding your money well? You should worship God with your language. Uh Uh-oh. You should worship God with the words that literally come out of your mouth. How do you speak words of life and affirmation to people? As people are around you, are they going, that's somebody that I can tell just by the way they speak that they love people and they love God and they are filled with the spirit of God. Can people say that about you? You should worship God with your language and how you speak to others. You should worship God with your time, the time that you give to different things. There should be something that worship God. You should worship God, again, uh, uh, you should train up your children. Are you training your children up into what is important? The scripture says if we train up a child the way he, is, he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Listen, I, I hold on to that promise and I know many of you are holding on to that promise for your children. You are, you're like, I've raised them up the right way, and maybe they're gone astray right now. And You go, but I've raised them in the right way. It happened, listen, I'm going to tell you, it happened to me. My parents raised me in the church. I, I went to church regularly, and I listened. And I heard the gospel preached. I was not a Christian, and, and when, when I went to college, I took a left turn and was out there for a while, but I went back I'm telling you, when I, when I started to turn 30 and we had our first child, I went back to church. Why? Because my parents had trained me up. And I knew that's what I should do. And God used that and he saved me, not until I was 30. He rescued me from my sin. He'll do the, I, and, and, we pray, and I pray that for my children. I know you're praying that for your children. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And so we get to this place uh, of of God calling Jacob to go back to a life of worship. And, and I'm sure uh, Jacob probably examined his life at this point, and he probably remembered the, the account of, with God at Bethel. And, and to Jacob's credit, he, he didn't fret and think of that his best years were behind him. Uh, actually, he he's, he believed God. He's like, I believe God. And, and so he chose to believe God, that what God was saying was true and to follow his instructions and to go back to Bethel. Look what the text says in verse 2. It says, So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So it's interesting to me that Jacob's family uh, just kind of did what, uh, did what they, he asked him to do. After his colossal failures in leading them, because he had a lot of colossal failures, his family still listened to what it was that he asked them to do. and uh, But it seemed that Jacob had now chosen to follow God, and, and honestly, his family was following his lead, which is really cool. Uh, man, I want you to listen. You have a tremendous influence in your families. Men, listen. Men, if you're online, listen. Uh, if, If men aren't in the room, go get them right now. Because it's important. See, men, you have a tremendous, tremendous influence in your families. How you talk, how you speak, where you go, what's important to you, what is influencing you. Just think about the words that you say in your family has a great influence in your family. The way you speak to your wife, the way you speak to your children, the way you carry on business in your home, where you go, the places that you go, the the things that you find yourselves involved in has a tremendous influence in your family. What's important to you becomes important to your children. Who influences you influences your home. You have a tremendous influence in your family. You have a God-given leadership role in your family. And for the most part, as you go men, so goes your family. As you go men, so goes your family. You don't like the way things are going in your, in your leadership, in your, in your family men? You don't like the way that things are kind of playing themselves out? Don't look at your spouse. You know what you need to do? All of you men, take out your cell phones. Right now, seriously. Take out your cell phones. Click on the camera. (laughs) Flip the screen around. See that person in that screen now? That's the person you look at. Take a picture of yourself. Seriously, I'm taking one of me. That's the person. How is that person leading? How is that person following Jesus? How is that person sacrificing for his family? How is that person leading his family to worship Jesus, to worship the one true God? A man who gets in a right relationship with God will see the effects in his family. It's inevitable. If you begin to worship Jesus, it's inevitable for the ripple effects not to come through your family. It's a big deal, dudes. How do you get on this path, man? You're like, Preacher, I don't even know how to do that. I'm gonna tell you. You pray and you ask God to help you. you whatever sins that are in your life, you, repeat, you confess them to the Lord you I, I know I've got this sin in my life right now and I know that it's something I keep going back to over and over again. And I just want to confess it to you and tell you that I can't do it without you. I can't get rid of this thing without you and I need some help. And maybe you got to look around to another dude, another man that goes, man, I don't follow Jesus like that guy does and I'd like to do it like that guy does. You know what you should do? Go talk to that guy. Go go, hey, I don't know how you do this, but I want to do what you do. Will you help me? You know what that guy will do? He'll go, of course I will help you. He'll go, you know what he'll probably say? Man, I don't know what I'm doing. He's special, but you can come do it with me. If you don't know how to do it, find somebody that's doing it. Find somebody you go, that guy's following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus like that guy. I promise he'll help you. You know, and the interesting thing to me in this whole text is as, as uh, Jacob is telling his kids to put away things, that, that his kids were following foreign gods. But Rachel had kept some, you know, if you remember from the story back a few chapters ago, Rachel had kept some from her father's house whenever they both, when they all kind of set out to go on their own way. And so here's mom influencing her kids by giving them the okay to worship foreign gods because she had some. And so this is not just about men, this is about women too. This is about moms as well. Yes, dads have great influences in their home, But moms, you have great influences in your home. And so the things that you do, your children watch you. Your children see what you do. Your children see what's important to you. Your children see and they watch and go, well, if this is important to mom, then it must be okay for me to be this way. If it's not important to mom, then it's not necessarily important to me. This is not about guilt trip, people. This is just about truth. This is just the way it is. Good or bad, we influence our children. Why would we expect them to do anything different than we're doing? No matter how hard we try to teach our kids godly conduct, they will mostly do what we do. Not just from dads, but moms too. Charles Spurgeon says this, in families, it is often well when you see that things are wrong just to call the household together and say, we must draw near to God with peculiar earnestness for we are going astray We have not given up, we have not given up family prayer, but we must now make it special and with double zeal draw near to God. He said, Spurgeon says, whenever you see something going crazy in your house, stop. Pull the family together and go, we got something going really wrong here. Let's pray about it. Let's talk to God about this. and Ask him to help us in this and he'll help us get through this. Amen. Strong words from the spurge. So Jacob told them not just to get rid of their idols, but to change their garments. Look again in uh, verse 2 Uh-oh, I've lost my uh, connection here. Let's get back to this. Here we go. Look at verse two. Here's what it says. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So this was a significant step because Jacob was calling them to literally clean themselves up. So uh, both physically and symbolically, he was asking them to do something. Uh, And so throughout the Bible, uh, garments kind of symbolize character. So when you read your Bible and you see that, uh, the people that wear the garments that people have symbolize kind of how their character is going. Uh, The inward uh, life of someone who is unregenerate is compared to like a polluted garment and the need to change that and to get a new garment on. And so that, that's, we see that all through the text. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about this uh, in Ephesians chapter four. Look what he says in, in verse 22. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires. You see that? He says, take, put off your old self. So he said, take off your old garments. Take off the old self, he says, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt. So he's like, we gotta get rid of this. We gotta take this off. Then he goes on this and says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So we start in our minds. And then he says this, and to put on the new self. So he's like, put off the old self, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. See what Paul says there? So Paul's reiterating the same kind of thing. And so verse four ends up telling us that he says, man, I want you to even get rid of some of these earrings. Look what it says. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were there in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And so we've got to assume that the for him to say, take off these earrings, that they had to have some type of symbolism, uh, some type of pagan connection. Now, uh, and... and And so I think there's probably some kind of superstition or something that had creeped into the family. Now, uh, many times in church world, uh, people do, uh, there's a thing called uh, eisegesis and exegesis, okay? And so those are some fancy words that basically say eisegesis means that I'm going to take and kind of put my own thoughts onto the text and so I'm going to make I'm going to manipulate the text to say what I want to say to you. So I'm isogheding the uh, the text to say I want I want to get a point across exegeting the text means that you take the text and mind the text or what it says and you proclaim what the text says, okay? That's just kind of a simple explanation of eisegesis and exegesis. And so many times, people will, in, in, in verses like this, uh, eisegete the text because they wanna control the behavior of people, okay? And, and so in this, there are many people that might take this and go, see, in the Bible, it says... Uh, Uh, to take the rings that were in their ears and, and to get rid of them. And so because of that, you should take out all your earrings and get rid of them. See that? That happens regularly in churches throughout our land. That is a terrible way to use the scriptures to control people. That's like taking a battering ram and just beating people with it over something that's not actually true. This is a description of what Jacob was calling his family to do for a specific reason. This does not mean take out all your earrings and throw them away, okay? And I'll just say this. If you've been in a church that has beat you up for a long time, uh, we're not going to beat you up here. We're not going to beat you up. We're going to preach the word, and if the Spirit beats you up over some sin that is ongoing in your life like he does me on a regular basis, then you've got to deal with that yourself. We're not going to beat you up with, with isogeating scripture to, make, to try to control your behavior, okay? All right. Amen. You should be more excited about that than, than you just were. So I'm sure that as Jacob was kind of realizing this, he was like, man, my family has just fallen in disarray and I'm not overly happy about this. I'm sure you had to be disheartened. He goes on, look at this and says in verse five, and as they journey to terror from God, fell on the cities that were around them so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because God had revealed himself to them when he fled from his brother. And so this massacre at Shechem uh, from the previous chapter had made his family hated among the Canaanites. I mean, they were aware of it. And so the people around them just hated them because they had gone in and just killed all these people. And and so I'm sure Jacob was fearful of this all along because he was afraid this might happen to his family. Uh, And it would have been fair for God to leave Jacob in his consequences. And it would have been fair for God uh, to just pour out the consequences of Jacob's poor leadership in his family. Two words, two of my favorite words in the Bible. You know what they are? Yeah, there they are. But God, right? But God... God chose to protect the family. God chose to do something different despite their sin, despite their bad choices, despite their uh, sinning against God, despite their living a life contrary to God, God chose to do something different. Verse five tells us that a terror from God fell on the cities around them. And so God is always working to accomplish his plans. Even when we royally mess them up, God is working. And all the people who have ever messed it up said what? Yeah, we're happy about that, right? I mean, if you, who in here has messed it up before? Yep, okay. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, then you're just lying to yourself because you've messed it up plenty as well. But God protects us so many different times. And, and so in the middle of this, Jacob builds this altar in a place he calls El Bethel. And uh, so, so think about what's happening. Uh, Jacob had sinned greatly. And Jacob had sinned against God in multiple ways and uh, now Jacob was doing what was right before God and he traveled uh, to build this altar despite the danger and he built it trusting in God's protection. And the truth is that it was probably dangerous for Jacob to go back to Bethel just on his own. But it was even more dangerous to disobey God. So going back was gonna be dangerous but it would have been worse for him to disobey God. The only thing that would change him uh, or the only thing that could save him was a radical obedience uh, to God. Now, again, this is a place, by making that statement, radical obedience to God. This is a place where uh, in the past uh, or, or maybe that uh, you've been uh, around and you've listened to sermons and, and you've gone, man, uh, I've heard many preachers talk about living a radically obedient life to God. Uh, you might have been battered by that before as well. That if you want to be right with God, you need to be radically obedient like Jacob was. That's, that's an easy takeaway. You know, this is what Jacob did, and, and he was obedient to God, and now you need to be radically obedient to God. And, and there's a modicum of truth in that, that we are called to be obedient to God, right? God calls us to obedience. He calls us to follow him. He, he gives us some things that we should do and some things that we should not do. And so we are called to be obedient to God. Uh, that's, that, that's what our calling is as Christians. The scriptures are full of commands to put on these things and to put away these things. And, uh, but the truth about that is you and I will never really do that perfectly you and I will never perfectly follow what it is that God calls us to do. We'll never obey fully uh, and perfectly for a holy and righteous God. It doesn't mean that we don't pursue righteousness, but we'll never pursue it and do it perfectly. And that's why the gospel is such good news for you and me. See, the, the radical message of the gospel is that God became a man God the Son, Jesus, became a man, and he lived like you and me. He lived on this world like you and me. He was tempted in every way that you are. You're like, well, you think he was tempted the same way? Yeah, the Scripture says that he was tempted in every way like you and me, and yet he did it without sin. And then Jesus laid his life down in our place. Because the Scripture says that the punishment for sin is death. The punishment that you deserve for your sin is death but the message of the gospel is that Jesus came and lived the life you can't live and then died the death that you deserve to die. There's a theological term around it called penal substitutionary atonement. Come on. Yep. Penal substitutionary atonement. And what that means is that Jesus was our substitute, okay? Okay. Jesus took the penalty for our death. So penal, he took the penalty for our death. Substitutionary, so he took it in our place. And the atonement means that he satisfied God the Father. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. He took the penalty. He took it in our place. And he did it to satisfy the Father. That's that's theological terms for what Jesus did for you and me. This is the good news of the gospel, that your sin deserved punishment. But God, the son, stepped into the world and took the punishment that we'll never have to take. Hallelujah. Yeah, praise the Lord. That is the good news of the gospel. So the radical obedience to God is what God requires of us, yet because we'll never be able to do it, Jesus did it for us. This is amazing grace. And so this obedience that God did for us, this this being in our place, this taking our place, is what we sing about here regularly uh, in some form here at the Refuge Church. Jesus is the hero here at the Refuge, okay? Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the only one who obeyed perfectly. And trusting him is the way you are in a right relationship with God. Back to the text, Uh, this is what the text goes on to say. So God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padamaran and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from you and uh, from your body. The land that I gave to Abraham And Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give them the land, the offspring to you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. And so when Jacob finally arrives at this place where God told him to go, he immediately found great blessing. So God appeared to him and he said, I'm going to change your name. Your name's going to be Israel. Your name's Jacob now, but from now on, we're going to call you Israel. And so it's good to see Jacob begin to follow. It's good for God to go, you're not the same guy anymore. I'm changing you into what I want you to be. I'm making you into the man that I want you to be. God wanted him to set his mind on the new man that he was becoming. See, God does that for you and me. God does that for you and me. He reminds us of who we are in Jesus. He wants us to be new people. We don't necessarily get a new name, but we become new people. We become new people that Jesus makes of us. Who are we in Jesus according to the scriptures? Well, first off, our salvation is in Jesus, amen? Amen. Yeah, our salvation, the rescue from our sin is in Jesus. Our redemption is in Jesus. The thing that redeems us, that makes us new, that makes us brand new is found in Jesus. Our forgiveness is in Jesus. You wanna be forgiven for your sins? Your neighbor may not forgive you of your sins. Your spouse may not forgive you of your sins, but Jesus forgives you of your sins, amen? That's good. Our life is hidden in Jesus. That means he covers us no matter what our sins are, that our sins are, like, are white as snow. They are, although they are like crimson, the scripture says they are now like white as snow because they are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. Our freedom is in Jesus. Freedom is found not in going and living the way you want to, but freedom is found in Jesus. Our cleansing is found in Jesus. You wanna be made right with God? You wanna be clean before God? Sometimes we feel like we're dirty and our sin has stained us so much. You want to be right before God? That is found in Jesus. Our justification, our right standing with God is found in Jesus. Our new life is found in Jesus. Our confidence is found in Jesus. Our hope is is found in Jesus. Our victory is found in Jesus. Our promise is found in Jesus. Our identity is secure in Jesus. Our rest is in Jesus. Our peace is in Jesus. Our reconciliation to God is in Jesus. Our everything is in Jesus. Amen? You know what that stands for? That stands for good... Cameron, come on. Look, I got the Holy Spirit on this one now. I'm telling you. Yes, I'm telling you, this is good. This is good, good news. Everything in our life, our yes and amen is found in Jesus. See, God made a promise to Israel, and this promise goes back uh, to the beginning. So, see, God had made a promise with Adam, and He said, I'm going to make you a, a nation. I'm going to make people out of you. You be fruitful and multiply. When they messed that up, He made that same promise to Moses. Remember, Moses came off the ark. He said, You now, you go and be fruitful. And multiply. What did the text just say that he said to Jacob? He said, "Jacob, you are now Israel, and now you go be fo- you go forward and be fruitful and multiply." And, and so God said, "Listen, you do what I say. Uh, I am your God. I am going to go with you." Uh, and, and God God, then God declared Jacob to be His. He's like, "You are now mine. I'm giving you a new name. Uh, your name is now Israel. Now you go forward. You be fruitful and multiply, so that God's name will be known." That's why I told him that very thing. And he does the same thing for you and me today. Despite our great sin, despite our disobedience, and despite the dark places in our heart, God makes us new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. He has made you new if you are in Christ Jesus. He's made you a new man. He's made you a new woman in Christ Jesus. God made Jacob new and he gave him a new name and he set him on a mission to be fruitful and multiply. And if God has made you new, if God has rescued you from your sin and he has filled you with his spirit, he is sending you on a new mission to be fruitful and multiply. He was telling Jacob to be fruitful and multiply, his influence, his people, like literal people. He's telling us to be fruitful and multiply as the bearers of the good news of the gospel, to multiply the gospel message in and around us. So what, what is God specifically, specifically instructing you to do today? And if he took Jacob, who really messed it up, and he said, I'm gonna make you new, I'm gonna, you follow me, I, I, I've set your life apart, and I'm gonna make you new, what is he calling you to today? What is he calling you specifically to today? Maybe he's calling you to be, not be so distracted from your worldly possessions that distract you from God. Worldly possessions aren't bad things, but if they distract you and pull you away from God, then they become bad things. Maybe it's just to go all in with Jesus. Maybe you've been kind of teetering out here on the edge and, and maybe that's where you are today because you decided to come to church and you're just kind of out here on the edge and you're like going, man, I'm, I just kind of like to be out here and, and just kind of watch in there. Maybe God brought you here today to say, nope, come on, get in get in son, come on, get in man, get in, let's go all in, maybe that's what he's calling, that's that's what he called Jacob to do, go all in, don't live out on the set, don't almost get there, go all in, maybe it's to live for him, so his name is known, how does he choose to let his name be known, yeah, I, I get to stand and preach every week, And so you come and you listen and and I get to proclaim his name every week. We get to do it online and and people watch it literally around the world um, uh, to see his name proclaimed. But he calls you to do the same thing, to proclaim his name, no matter where you go, for his name to be proclaimed. Or maybe it's today to believe for the first time, maybe for the first time in your entire life that Jesus is actually better, that anything that you've tried, Anything that you dove off into, anything that you're indulging your life in, maybe today he's going, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything you've been trying. I urge you today, don't don't stop short. Don't stop short like Jacob did. Go all the way. Surrender your whole life to God. One thing with this, and I'm going to be closed. Uh, the New City Catechism uh, is a, is a, uh, a thing that, that we teach our kids on um, uh, who God is. And the first, first question in this New City Catechism says this, uh, what is our only hope in life and death? Listen, listen, don't tune me out, listen. What is our only hope in life and death? And this is the answer to that New City Catechism question. That I am not my own, But belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all the things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What is our only hope in life and death? To be with Jesus, both body and soul. I want to urge you for that to be your answer today. Let me pray for us.